Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, fresh off of a night of karaoke, is Ethan Sultry Tones Sax. How's it going, Ethan? Ben, I'm here. I'm feeling good. I've recovered from my night of debauchery, and uh, I think my voice has too. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Had the state solo ensemble yesterday, a bunch of students performing solos, trios, etc. That all went really well, and I'm excited to talk some magic and jam some magic later today. Ooh, we're getting a little uh, Sunday stream from you. A little Sunday stream. Excellent. That'll be that'll be good to have on in the background while I'm editing this very episode, which uh, we're going to be talking about five color control, five color goodies as uh, sort of the escape hatch in Theros Beyond Death Draft, a sort of backdoor, uh, like safety valve, whatever you want to think about this deck as a tool in your arsenal, sort of the new hotness that's come out on uh, on Twitter. I'd say a lot of people are posting decks like this. A lot of the top trophy leaders are having success with it. And so we wanted to be able to report on it here for you fine folks. But before we get into that, got to do a little bit of housekeeping. Talk about that Lords of Limited Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show. If you so choose, get access to the Discord, get access to a number of other rewards as you move up those tier rankings. Um, the Discord is the best. Super awesome, especially every time we have like a, a GP or a player's tour to root on folks that are, are competing in those events. So we've got some folks who are in day two of GP Reno as we speak, maybe they're even getting to uh, to shuffle up and, and hear the old draft, as Ben likes to hear over the oh, announcement I love it. <laughs> of, uh, of the GP Hall. So good luck to all those folks and any of you listeners who competed in the GP. Good luck to you as well. And we also want to make sure that we welcome each and every new member of the Patreon on air. So this week we're going to welcome Gene, the Manalik, Bradley, Theodore, Cameron, Alex R., Mark, Malky, and Alex M., Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yep. Cannot say thank you enough. We say it every week. And I just want to add out, as the Discord gets bigger and bigger, if you want to get in touch with Ethan or I or get our opinions, just add us in the Discord. We'd be glad to take a look at anything if you've ever got a question and want want to get in touch and get either of our opinion on anything. Yeah, second that for sure. Really, really happy to, to jump in there whenever folks are interested in getting our feedback. Um, and speaking of feedback, we got some feedback from last week's episode, our commons in context. And I wanted to do just like a couple of maybe amendments or a couple of clarifications. So Ben, we got a lot of pushback on Pious Wayfarer being in the good in every deck category. What, what do you think about that? I think that's probably theoretically true, but the best white decks are good Pious Wayfarer decks. So I don't know, it's it's close, but I think if you're being true to our description, it is not good in every deck. There's blue-white control decks where it underperforms a little bit, and there's white decks that are more hero, rap and flames based that don't have quite as much of an enchantment theme. So I think that probably top tier is a better fit for it. Yeah, I'd say it's probably good still in like 90% of the white decks, but probably not a fair description. So we'll, we'll we'll knock down Pious Wayfarer Pig, but I still think we are higher on it than the rest of the world and appropriately so. We also got some pushback on why Gull was in top tier and Deny and Thirst weren't. And in Blue Green specifically, you don't really want to be draw go, but you're still happy with the 2-2 flyer there and maybe you make your opponent play around a deny or a thirst on turn three. So I think those other two cards don't fit nearly as well in blue-green as Gull does. Yeah, that's that's my feeling. And I think that's a good reason for like why we think Gull is in top tier and probably why Pious Waver should have been knocked down. Just that that slight peg. Okay, so talking about five color control deck, let's uh, let's maybe take a look at a round table to springboard the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. We'll take... One of mine here and have a seat and see how you would navigate this. All right. First up, pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Only top common in contention is Blight Breath Catablepus. Four black black for the three two and ETBs. Target creature and opponent controls gets minus X minus X equal to your devotion to black. There's a Threnody Singer, one in a blue for the one three flash flyer that when it ETBs shrinks the power of target opposing creature equal to your devotion to blue. Slaughter Priest of Mogis, black red for the 2-2. Whenever you sack a permanent, it gets plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn, and you can pay 2, sacrifice another creature or enchantment to give it first strike. There's Calafee, the 1 blue blue, star 3, where power is equal to your devotion to blue, and creatures and enchantments you control have spells your opponent's cast cost 1 more to target your creatures. I think that's worse than Threnody Singer in a vacuum. What do you think about that? I agree. I had actually kind of a long discussion on stream about Calafe because I just can never find room for it in my blue decks because blue has this problem of 
it gets really clogged at the three drop slot, right? You've got the Holy Trinity of Vexing, Gull, Deny, and Thirst. And then you've got Nyad as well as like a way to make those cheaper so that you can do that on three and then do two of those things on four. And then you've also got Ichthyomorphosis sometimes. And like, I think all of those cards I would generally play over Calave. Yeah, makes sense to me. Are rare in the pack, not one of the top rares in the set, unfortunately. This is Thassa's Intervention, Blue Blue X. Choose one, look at the top X cards of your library, and put two of those cards into your hand, or counter target spell where its controller pays twice X. Yeah, I mean, I still, I still really like Thassa's Intervention. I remember being pretty high on it in our like testing set review meeting and everyone sort of knocking it down lower. But I, I think I would take that out of this pack. I mean, Threnody Singer is close, but I think it's clear that you want to take intervention over it. Are you on Threnody Singer over bleeps? Yes, I am. That pick's really close for me because I like black so much better than I like blue. Yeah, that makes sense. So I did snap up Thassa's intervention here and looking to draft a control deck, probably, Mm -hmm. at least with that as my rare to start. Moving on to pack one, pick two, see the following cards as options. There's a thirst for meaning, two in a blue instant, draw three, discard two unless you pitch an enchantment. There's an omen of the forge, one in a red flash when ETBs deals two damage to anything and you can sack it to scry two. Hero of the pride, one white for the two two. Whenever you cast a spell that targets it, creatures you control get plus one plus O until end of turn rare is missing from the pack and then moving on to the uncommons there's a sweet oblivion and madomai's prophecy one in a blue for the saga where you scry two then choose a card name and then if you cast the spell with a chosen card name you draw two and then finally you get a look at the top card of each player's library so is this a hot take here i think i like thirst for meaning more than metamize prophecy in a vacuum i don't because of what you said about the threes getting clogged Mm -hmm. thirst for meaning costing three has felt pretty bad to me and i also think madomai's prophecy is better in the multicolored control deck than thirst for meaning is which is sort of what i had in the back of my mind that i was maybe going to try to do here that's a close pick see i would argue i think thirst if you're talking about the multicolor concept deck i think thirst is better than prophecy in that deck specifically because of just like it digs you out of or in out of situations where like your mana is awkward or you've got the cards in your hand that you can't cast or digs you towards the bombs that you built your deck for. And like Prophecy does that, but like much slower, you know? Yeah, I have Prophecy's been a, a roller coaster for me. I was really high <laughs> and then I was really low on it. And now I'm back to like, I kind of like it. Okay. Yeah, it's close. I mean, I, I like the card, but so are, are you on Prophecy over Omen of the Sea? No. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I feel that omen is better than prophecy and i think it's tough because like i think already with thassa's intervention i'm thinking well i could could be draw go and i think thirst is better there it's close here but i I think i'd land on thirst okay i took the madomai's prophecy moving on to pack one pick three see the following cards as options only blue card in the pack is a triton wave rider three and a blue for the hill giant that gets flying when you play an enchantment rest of the commons are pretty blech yeah nothing interesting here there's an altar of the pantheon Three mana for the artifact that gives devotion to each of your colors and taps to add one mana of any color. It wouldn't be the multicolor good stuff deck episode if we didn't mention altar in the pack. That's right. Uh, rare and uncommon missing, so no real signals yet. And best uncommon is probably Birth of Miletus. One or white for the saga that gets you a planes and an 04 and then two life. Yeah, I mean, shout out to you, Ben. Like I was pretty down on Birth of Miletus in our set review and you you held fast. I think even after, you know, even the set came out, we were like, white's really aggressive. You know, Birth of Miletus does definitely have a place in controlling decks and you've got two card draw slash counter spell spells right now. I think Birth is going to slot in nicely with those. Yeah, I took the Birth and I do think Birth also is very good in this multicolor control deck yeah if you're base white for sure moving on to are you base anything in this deck honestly Uh, well i think you have to so at least for me and maybe i'm getting like stuck in that mindset because definitely i've seen decks where it's like three three four four unknown shores is like your mana base or whatever with like two (laughs) amulets and so then you're not really base anything there but i still try and think about being base two colors in these in these decks yeah that's responsible (laughs) Moving on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. No white cards in the pack. There's a Riptide Turtle is probably the best blue card that we'd be interested in. One in a blue for the 05 Flash Defender. There's a Loathsome Chimera, two in a green for the 4-1 with Escape. And another Slaughter Priest of Mogis in the uncommon slot, black red for the 2-2. And a rare and both uncommons are missing. So again, no real signals here. Yeah, so I think I would just stay on the blue train with our prophecy or thirst and uh, intervention and take Riptide Turtle here. I thought about that, but I decided this felt a little 
early to take Riptide Turtle to me. It also has underperformed for me at times. Like you really want one to two, I think, in the main yeah. and then maybe access to some others in the sideboard. So I decided that Losome Chimera was enough better than Riptide Turtle that I wanted to take a flyer on it here. What do you think about that? For me, that feels a little too like now you've got blue, blue, white, green and four picks and nothing really like powerful. Like I, if I'm taking a card here, I want it to be like, I don't know, something a little higher, maybe a Warbriar Blessing or one of the uncommons. For Loathsome Chimera, I feel like if green's open, I should get access to one of these. And I, I just want to stick with the blue cards I have. Well, so here was here was my thought process. And I'm curious if I lay this out for you, if I can sway you over to my side. Okay. I, I'm fine abandoning both blue cards. Like Thassa's Intervention is good, not great. And Prophecy, I think, is sort of whatever. And I think the gap between Losome Chimera and Riptide Turtle is pretty large. Like Losome Chimera is a card I actively want in green. Riptide Turtle is kind of filler-ish. It's not. It's better than filler, but it's not like making me want to play blue at all. Chimera very much makes me want to play green. Does that, that sway you at all? So I agree that Riptide Turtle doesn't make me want to play blue, but I don't agree that Chimera makes me want to play green. So maybe that's our difference here. And I think the other difference is you seem to just really not want to play blue in this set. That's so, also true. Which I don't, I don't feel that way. What What if this were a Voracious Typhon? Would you be more excited about taking it? I'd be more inclined for a Voracious Typhon, but I still think I would take Turtle. Like, didn't I feel like we've sort of outlined that we want to either like be taking powerful cards or staying one color as much as possible in pack one to open ourselves up to open or get past powerful cards in pack two. Yeah, I, I agree. I just don't like, I just don't care about Riptide Turtle, I guess, then ultimately is what what yeah. it boils down to and i think i'm higher like on chimera than you are i think chimera i'm i'm coming around to chimera's about the power level of typhon and certainly if i'm trying to keep myself open to multicolor i think chimera is better than typhon in that deck yeah if you're not base green or if you're not base anything yeah i, I agree that the double green versus single green i still have still have typhon as number two but i think chimera is a close third interesting so i took the chimera here over the riptide turtle moving on to pack one pick five see the following cards as options this is a better pack than every pack we've seen so far <laughs> there's warbriar blessing uh, at common venomous hierophant pious wayfarer and blight breath catablepus as well as a Birth of Miletus still hanging out at Uncommon and Temple of Enlightenment at the rare slot. Yeah, I mean, you'd love to just scoop this pack up. It's interesting, like, through my route, this is a pretty easy Birth of Miletus, I think. And now I'm, like, setting myself up to have the basis of a really good blue-white control deck with Double Birth, Turtle, Prophecy, or or actually, I would have Double Birth, Turtle, Thirst, and Intervention. Um, with you having taken the Chimera just now, I think Warbriar Blessing is very, very appealing. Yeah, so I took the Warbriar Blessing because of what I'd taken with the Chimera, maybe thinking the green was open, looking to move into that. Catablepus was moderately tempting, but at this point, it's dangerous, right? Because there's commons missing. You don't know if somebody's taking a Myers Grasp or a Final Death. Like, we really don't have signals. And if you move into black at this point in the pack, this is when it's dangerous to move into black for, like, a card the power level of Catablepus. And Warbriar Blessing is just, you have that higher in your pick order than Catablepus, don't you? Yes. Yeah, so I think that makes it easier here. I mean, I think if it were, it's interesting if, like, what if it's Final Death and Warbriar Blessing? I would take Final Death. Wow. Just just no problem being four colors and in, in five picks here, right? I think Final Death is significantly better than Warbriar Blessing. Yeah, it's also a much, much, much better splash in the multicolor deck. Right. So let me, I want to ask you this too. Let me ask you this. <laughs> yeah. Call myself we, there. The catchphrase. Trying to pin you down. So are you happy with two births and a turtle? Because I am not. Like one of those three cards, probably the turtle is not making my deck. I'm happy with playing all three of those. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, Interesting, he says. Well, I just like, what else are we going to say? Right? Yeah, true. Like, I think we respect each other's opinions and disagree. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting is the polite way of saying that. Interesting is the polite way of saying, I don't agree, but I don't want to argue anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to pack one, pick six. We picked up an Elysian carry added out of a fairly empty pack. Pack one, pick seven, a Brine Giant, again, out of a fairly empty pack. And honestly, like, didn't get any real clear direction in pack one. There's a world where if we started with Slaughter Priest of Mogis, that our deck would have been a very good black-red deck. We saw three of them ultimately in pack one. But I think starting with Asa's Intervention, it's hard for you to ever get on that route because mm -hmm. you would have had to have taken the first one over Loathsome Chimera or Riptide Turtle in pick four. And it just feels tough to do that yeah you also didn't see any other like 
I mean, you saw that late Catablipus, but you didn't see any good red or black cards. Right. We saw playable red and black cards, but not right. great, great red and black cards. So pack two opened up a Thassa, followed that up with a Banishing Light, and then took a Catablipus to blink with my Thassa, pack two, pick three, um, and ended up playing a base blue-black splashing green and white multicolor deck that didn't quite have the level of fixing that I would have liked. We got a Traveler's Amulet and an Unknown Shores, but would have liked to have had another couple Traveler's Amulets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, fixing is is one of the main, main pieces of this deck. But I do think with what we're talking about, this this draft is a way you get into this deck, right? We had a pretty underpowered pack one where we mm-hmm. dipped our toe in a lot of places. And I, I had this in the back of my mind that I wanted to try to end up in this deck, but I do think it made sense given how the first pack went to end up in this deck as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that a lot of these drafts, I mean, you you saw my route through the draft, which was perhaps a more clear-cut blue-white control deck. But I think you will often see that there are going to be two ways to navigate drafts when we're looking at them through the lens of this multicolor deck. And I don't necessarily think either one is right or wrong. I just think it's about like what you are preferring to do and noticing that this is, you know, when you think about a deck being open, this is a deck that is open to you. You just have to look at pieces in a different way. Right. Absolutely. Um, so before we dive into outlining this deck, I want to give a shout out to two fine folks from our Discord, uh, Corticals and Ghash77 for consulting on this episode. Uh, I had Ghash on my stream on Thursday, and that conversation is highlighted, and it's from the VOD from uh, February 27th. So you can check that out if you want a much more in-depth discussion. But Ghash is like number five on the trophy leaderboard and has had a lot of success with the style of deck. So I wanted to be able to pick his brain, and we're going to u- use a lot of the uh, info that we we got from him on this episode can confirm that that VOD is well worth your time. I have watched about half of it at this point, and I do intend to go back and watch the second half. Ghash is very well spoken and was an entertaining stream. So we've talked about these kinds of decks before, Ben, like I think the first time we did it was an hour of devastation, which I'm so excited is coming back to Magic Online for a week <laughs> on Wednesday. But, you know, Hour of Devastation had this, Rivals of Ixalan, Dominaria. Most formats have a multicolor good stuff deck available to you. It, it is as often as the case in these formats that we've talked about before, it's it's usually a backup plan when your draft starts with some powerful cards, but no clear direction on what color or color pairs you're supposed to be in. If you've got good cards to start a draft, but aren't seeing the good flow of commons to back them up, I would be on the lookout for the tools for this kind of deck. Yeah, that makes absolute sense to me. I think the thing that's different about this one than most other decks is typically their base green Mm -hmm. and i think this one is hoping not to be green in some sense honestly yeah well i think that's because the well as we'll see as we outline like the pieces for the deck green has some fixing but the colorless fixing here is actually honestly better and allows you to then be in other colors where they have the other pieces more reliably. Yeah. So when we're talking about those moving pieces for the deck, we're looking at basically five-ish categories. I've outlined them here, and they're they're usually this, except I think the fifth category is sort of unique to Theros Beyond Death. So number one, you want bombs. That's like the one of the reasons to be in this deck is like you open something that's great, like Archon of Sun's Grace, and then you get pushed off of white, but you still really want to play this card. Well, this is the deck that's going to let you do that. And then because your deck relies on maybe a couple bombs, recursion becomes pretty important as well. So having Acolyte of Affliction, Omen of the Dead, or Rise to Glory, I think all of those cards are really good pieces to this deck as well. So would you add Binding of the Titans to that list? I initially had it here, but then Ghash sort of talked me off of it. You know, I I think self-mill is a little awkward or dangerous in these decks, depending on what your fixing is like. But like, if you've only got one Mountain and one Unknown Shores for your red cards, but then you've got Amulets or Omen of the Hunts to go search them up, it can be pretty awkward if you mill that one Mountain then you just feel locked in to rebuying that when the third chapter of Binding goes off. So I, I would put Binding of the Titans not on this list. Okay, good to know. So we've got Bombs. Removal is the second category that we typically want in these multicolored decks. Single Pipped and or Cheap is best. So Myers Grasp and I think Omen of the Forge are premium in this deck. Omen of the Forge especially because it's in the same color with Thrill of Possibility, which is another reason that this deck really ticks and hums. But one of the ways this deck loses is getting run over by the red-white heroes draws or Mm -hmm. the base-white aggro draws where you just can't interact and stabilize quick enough. And cards like Myers Grasp, Omen of the Forge really, really help mitigate that situation. Yeah. Uh, Fixing is up next, though. I think it's it's really tied with the category after that which is card draw and card filtering so we'll look at you know fixing as the way to 
be able to cast these powerful spells and card draw slash filtering the ways to dig towards those spells or dig out of them when you can't cast them. Yeah. And finally, just good old fashioned value. Some two for one, some cards that net you an advantage. Um, And then before we dive into looking at these in specific, I want to just point out I had quarter calls look at these show notes and he he wanted to add that when drafting and building this deck, you want to ask, is this card fixing, filtering, or power? And if the answer is no, you really have to have a good reason to be playing it. Playing a deck that's just five color medium stuff is not what the deck is about. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. So when you're looking at bombs, what sort of things qualify as a bomb for you for this deck? Well, I would say that, you know, most of the rares, there's too many to name. Um, but I was looking at our like ranking of the cards from our limited meeting when we looked at the, the rares and mythics. And I'd say about half of them, a little more than half of them, we had ahead of Farika's spawn. So that's a lot of cards that we're really excited about. Um, some of them are more contextual, like Phoenix of Ash is maybe not the best in these multicolor decks because it's more of an aggressive card it's more of a card that's powerful to curve out with but it's still fine as like if that's your escape card if that's one of if you're fine casting it on turn five or six then it can still do the thing like i still think that's a card that i would try and include in the deck but maybe not try to bias towards the deck for but even the double pipped cards like kiora best the sea god dream trawler elspeth conquers death nadir kraken all of that stuff those are splashable in these decks. Right. And that's another big difference from these decks to typical mm-hmm. five color decks, because normally you're limited to one color splashing. And then, you know, you brought up Hour of Devastation. The cool thing about Hour of Devastation was you had Oasis Ritualist, and that lets you essentially, if you got three of those, you could comfortably splash double colored cards, which was like the first time that had ever happened. Yeah. You're splashing double colored cards here in what I would describe as irresponsible looking mana bases. But it works because the format is so slow and there's so much good filtering in Mm -hmm. these decks. Yeah. So beyond the good rares, I mean, you really hope to have those. And I'd say if you don't have those, you're probably in this deck incorrectly. But you can have a good number of standalone uncommons that are powerful that like slot into either like the value section of, of this these categories like Farika's Spawn, Shimmerwing Chimera plus Omens or whatever, Ferris Band Brawler. Uh, I think those are, are cards that are good in this deck. I'm going to push back on Ferris Band Brawler a little bit. Do you feel like that's powerful enough to include as a green green card if you're not base green? Um, It depends. Like if I've got, I think it does the same thing as Catablepus in these decks. And so because usually Catablepus can get minus three minus three and usually what you hope is to have brawler stick around so it's really only going to be fighting three power creatures or three toughness creatures uh often enough so i'd say it's similar to that but you know if i don't end up with the bleepuses i'm happy to to throw a a brawler or two in this deck but you're not splashing a brawler right you would be base green yeah i'm base green like i'm not going to be playing this as my only green card for sure right similarly as you wouldn't be you wouldn't be splashing catablepus but but spawn and chimera are cards. That's why it, it just looks odd to me here. Because yeah, yeah. spawn and chimera, you're playing no matter what, right? Exactly. Right. These are cards that are going in as your only blue or your only black card. Yeah. I think Ferris Band Brawler is a fine card. I don't know if I would categorize it as a bomb. Uh, that's, that's that's fair. Probably doesn't belong in the bomb section here. And then I would put powerful gold on commons like Acolyte of Affliction, Utropia, and Staggering Insight on this list. Yeah, absolutely. Staggering Insight's such a good splash in these decks. Yeah. Staggering Insight is just build your own dream trawler. It really is. I had a Jeskai deck that was like basically straight Jeskai, like eight, six, five mana base or something. And it had two insights and two Karametra's blessings and like nine creatures. And that was the game plan. And it's a great game plan. Next category is removal. Can you talk about like what sort of style of removal, what pieces of removal are most important, what to prioritize? So this deck is generally creature light. Um, you have a lot of moving pieces. You've got you know, all your fixing, all your removal that you have to play. So you have very few slots for the creatures that matter. But removal is really important. Ways to interact are really important. And you also get to do some things where you're like, okay, I can, this card doesn't matter, this card doesn't matter, but I have to kill this thing from my opponent or I'm going to die. Um, you mentioned having Myers Grasp and Omen of the Forge. I think those are important as like early roadblocks for your opponents. Uh, single pipped removal is really important, like Final Death, Dreadful Apathy, even Ichthyomorphosis. And you can include blessings like Iroas' blessings and Warbriar blessings. 
but they're slightly awkward again because your creature count is low so if you're in that like eight to ten creature range or less the blessings are not going to be good but if maybe you've got 12 or 13 then you can start to think about them and obviously they go up like the blessings are really really good with shimmerwing chimera so i think about that a lot i think one of the other things that you don't have here that i think is important to note about this deck is one of the things this deck does is let you take advantage of both of the two wraths in the format yeah so those are those are typically like awkward cards to include in the two color pair decks right but storm's wrath and the white wrath that you know you could draw a card if you have a creature poor power or greater both of those are premium in this deck and you're fairly likely to get past those honestly of of all the rares in the set they have the highest ceiling in this deck and you're the most likely to get past them that's a really really great point i i don't have those on this list but i think that's absolutely correct so when we take a look at fixing you know we've been we've been championing traveler's amulet i think for a few weeks as the best fixing in the format but didn't necessarily make the leap to the fact that it enabled this deck so how are you how are you viewing and valuing traveler's amulet now that this deck is a thing uh valuing it a lot higher honestly it feels (laughs) that article that came out like whatever three weeks ago on draft sim that had the question of like is amulet the golden egg of this format it feel i feel like i'm taking it about as high as i was taking golden egg which was to say pretty highly Th- this deck has sort of like breathed new life into the format for me it feels really fun it like maybe we're just at that point in the format where i'm trying to like spin my wheels some more or whatever but taking amulet high because i already feel like it's going to be good in most two color decks for reasons we've stated before but the fact that it's just like the free way to enable this deck if you end with the draft with three travelers amulets it feels like you can do anything yeah that makes absolute sense to me i have found myself struggling to pick up travelers amulets so i think maybe i just need to move it up in my pick order a little bit yeah we've talked about it before but unknown shores seems to be at its best in this format why is that i think because the format's slow Mm. and so you don't get punished as much for the things costing one more and oftentimes the things you're splashing are fairly cheap like Elspeth's nightmare costing four instead of three is still an insanely powerful card i think because the the power level is ratcheted up on the cards you're splashing you're more willing to pay one more mana for them right i was i was trying to push back on g hash about unknown shores casting dream trawler and he was like if dream trawler was three white white blue blue it would still be insane i was like yeah that's true okay never mind Right. I think that's the thing, right? Because the power level of the cards that you're splashing is so high, you're more willing to pay one. Right. I think that's it. So I think you want to include it when you're splashing two or three colors. Like if you're like, you know, theoretically base two colors and then splashing two or three. But also I found myself wanting to include it if like I have a deep third splash If that that third color is like four five six cards deep and maybe not even a splash at that point but then I'm, I'm also happy to play shores there yeah and then alter is the last piece of colorless fixing this one is i think less considerably less good than traveler's amulet but is at its best when you're ramping and or if devotion matters at all to you like maybe you got blight breath catablepus that that i think is a huge bump for alter i think generally you're hoping to play one altar maybe two mm-hmm. and i think you can, you can more happily include altars once you get the filtering yeah for sure and i do think like i was looking at a lot of these decks on twitter that had like black team to be the splash and the black cards you had were like a Myers grasp a final death and then two catablepus and i was like what is this card doing here but the more i thought about it with altars the better it became like the difference between minus two minus two and minus three minus three with this card alone is pretty huge and also you can play it on turn five that's not nothing um so i think the the devotion matters and also you know if you if you've got powerful stuff if you've got a thassa that you're splashing to blink your gray merchants and your bleeps like the life gain when you've got a demigod or a god is not nothing yeah for sure that moves us on to the less desirable fixing which is green so next i think in the the fixing power rankings is omen of the hunt and i think if you're playing this you've hopefully got constellation stuff that you care about or enchantment sack outlets some way to turn omen of the hunt back into a card yeah for sure i I, the omen of the hunt reminds me about a card that we probably should have listed in the removal section which is final flare i think these decks are often omen heavy you know if you've got i think omen of the forge and omen of the dead are, are really important pieces omen of the hunt less so but uh final flare turns all of those into like all right now i get to just use this cheap removal spell and flare is single pipped but you're also often base red because of thrill of possibility that uh i think final flare belongs on that list 
Ooh, yeah, that makes total sense to me. I had not thought about that. Um, so this is like a fine way to ramp or fix, but I think you want to have like Final Flare or Dream Shaper Shaman to be able to do something with it later. Yeah, that makes sense. And last on the list, we've got Elysian Caryatid, the glass cannon of <laughs> mana fixers here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't love this because your your deck folds to Mogus's favor if you're relying on like three Caryatids to fix your mana. Yeah. Um, so it's just something to be aware of and something to be careful with. But if you do have a base green deck and you can make Elysian Caryatid produce double-double, it is really powerful if you get there. Right. So th this was something that Quarter Calls said when I had it. I was like, hey, can you take a look at our show notes and see if there's anything you, you think is wrong? And he was like, I think Caryatid is maybe the best fixer outside of Amulet, but you have to be careful that it isn't your only fixing because of the reasons that Ben just stated. Like, you really want to make sure that you're not relying on this, but the fact that it alone can produce two pips for your splashes, for your double splashes, I think is is what makes it good. And then last but not least, Nessian Wanderer is, you know, if you're base green and you have a lot of the omens we've talked about or you have enchantments running around, can certainly dig you deep enough into your deck to find your splash lands. Yep. And that moves us on to card draw and filtering, which is, as I think Court of Calls told us, and I think I agree, it's equally, if not more important to fixing to the deck. And I think there's a steep drop off here, but the, the most important Two to three pieces are Thirst for Meaning, and here we go, Thrill of Possibility. People are now throwing out that that Thrill maybe belongs in the top three red commons. What do you think about that? I could see it, honestly. I, I've had my first Thrill experience, so I've been reading a lot about Thrill and like in the Discord and seeing the deck lists you know, that Opa and other people are posting. Mm -hmm. I, I first played a deck with four Thrill of Possibilities, and it was just a normal black-red deck, but I had a couple of escape cards that I really wanted to find. I had a Kroxa. And the amount of control I had over the cards that I saw in the game was so good. It was so good. I absolutely loved having four copies of Thrill in the deck. I think it's really good, as you said, in just two color decks and is really important um, for what we've talked about already about like digging towards the powerful cards or digging them away. I've really liked being on like you know, if you see like a Nyxborn Seaguard across from you and you have Farika's spawn in your hand, it's great to be able to go, cool, I'll just pitch it to Thrill and then escape it. Yeah, very powerful. I think Thrill is better than Thirst for Meaning for me. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Like the difference between two mana and three mana and they do about the same thing. Yeah, I think that's the difference. The two, the two versus three is huge. And I think you're often, I mean, because of Omen of the Forge as well and Final Flare, I think often like you want red, whereas like blue is kind of surprisingly not the most important to this this deck. It's not the most important color for this deck. And I think the thing that Thirst and Thrill allow you to do in this deck is play what looks like a sketchier mana base, probably sketchier than you and I would happily endorse yeah. as yeah. as limited podcasters. You know what I mean? But it works because these let you control the cards you see. Like if you've got your black card, but not your swamp, you can pitch your black card to thrill and then find other cards to do. Like a lot of the deck is air and or fixing and thirst and thrill make it certain that you find the powerful half of your deck and get rid of air when you don't need it anymore. Right, right. And this is one of the reasons why recursion is so important because it like feels bad to go, well, I am nowhere near casting my Archon here but I have to discard it. But this is one of the ways I win. And so you're like, well, it's fine. I've got Omen of the Dead that I can dig towards to cast later in the game to get back the Archon. Omen of the Sea, I think, is like just a notch below these. Still very good. Good because Omens are good in this deck. Um, but you really like the ability to like actively dig through your deck that Thirst and Thrill provide versus the the scrying and drawing that Omen does. Wait, is that true? I would, I would just, and you've played this deck way more than I have, but if I were base blue, I would value Omen much higher than both of these two cards. Maybe that's true. Maybe I'm, maybe because you get four scry, basically, you get your two instances of scry too. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, I retract my previous statement here. Uh, Omen of the Sea has, uh, has definitely a higher place when you're base blue. Eidolon Philosophy is next on the list and obviously a significant gap here between those top three and Eidolon Philosophy. But if you have to put this in your deck, it does the thing in a pinch, but neither half of this card is good. Right. It can like be your way to like take out an underworld rage hound against an aggressive deck, I suppose. So like it, it does have sort of a split card thing going on, but seven mana to draw three is just so, so much. Yeah, I think important also to note that you should be wary of cards like Funeral Rites and Relentless Pursuit. Relentless Pursuit, certainly because you're probably not going to have the creature count to really justify it. And then Funeral Rites, the two life loss can be pretty punishing if you're facing down an aggressive deck. 
Right. I mean, you just sort of have to always play this deck thinking you're going to be behind in the early part of the game. And so you want stuff that's going to help you get out of that. And funeral rites can sometimes be a liability. Last category we've got here is value. That is the Ethan Sack special. Can you can you speak to that at all? So it's obviously a broad category, but I think is the best way to sort of umbrella the kind of cards you're looking for to fill out this deck. You know, th- these four categories are, I think, pretty straightforward in terms of these are always the pieces of the puzzle for this kind of deck in M- any limited format. Powerful cards, good ways to interact, ways to draw cards, and ways to fix your mana. You need all four pieces of those. But then ways to fill out the rest of the deck, I think basically anything that can be a two-for-one is really important. So, you know, we talked about Catablepus and Ferris Band Brawler as, as just like, you know, sort of ETB kill creatures. Um, Destiny Spinner, I think, is a late-game mana sink, another reason that the omens are good. Rise to Glory has been an all-star here because a lot of the time your removal suite does include a number of Myers Grasps or Dreadful Apathies, and this gets back a powerful card that your opponent has had to deal with. I think Rise to Glory may... I mean, obviously, it's very good in... in black white decks where you have the enchantment removal but it is often felt and i've seen it in a lot of picks on twitter it's felt like a secret multicolor good stuff card that makes sense to me uh escape is one of the reasons that this deck works in this format is because you just get a way to use your graveyard as a resource you're already sort of trying to churn through your deck in a pretty aggressive way with the thirsts and the thrills and the omens so you'll get ways to fill your graveyard and then how you use that is important and even if it's just i mean you hope it's something really powerful i've seen uh elspeth in a lot of these decks that uh, have been posted on twitter but even if it's you know farika spawn is obviously great and if it's just typhon or i guess maybe even just chimera just some way to use the graveyard so when the dust settles you have this recursive threat i think is very important yeah, that deck we did with her round table, that Chimera, I took pack one, pick four. I ended up splashing that as my only green card and my only escape card in that deck. And I think it was correct to do so because I needed a way to utilize the graveyard. Yeah, if you don't have an escape card, I think this deck is much less good. Um, Dream Shaper Shaman, I think, is really strong. It accrues value from your omens and your altars once they've done their work, even your carry adids. Um, I think Dream Shaper Shaman is, is a powerful six drop to uh, look for room for in these decks yeah and that's something you often see late so that's good to know that that slots in here mm-hmm. lagana band storyteller it gives you some incidental life gain which this deck wants and doesn't often have the ability to get um so storyteller does some some good work there rebuying removal or sagas is good and archon of the falling stars does that well as does hateful eidolon allows you to like draw cards with your enchantment based removal yeah that all makes total sense to me. So if we're moving on to other considerations in the deck here, we've talked about a lot of this, but because you have a lot of air in the deck with fixing, card draw, filtering, you need to make sure every spell you have that's not fixing or filtering pulls its weight. Like there is no room for a random Hyrax Tower Scout in right. this deck. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, like the four mana four three. I mean, maybe if you're trying to turn on Catablepuses, but generally you want really good cards. Yes. Uh, and to that, you need defensive speed, but your cheap creatures have to matter in the late game too. Otherwise, you just really need a, a density of like thirsts and thrills to get rid of them when you draw them late. I think Scola Grove Dancer and Incendiary Oracle are good examples of two drops that scale well with the game. Um, but you really want to just make sure like, you know, at a certain point, Riptide Turtle is not going to do the thing you want. And that's going to feel really bad because your deck is already sort of prone to draw air. Yeah. And then I think another thing to keep in mind, depending on versions of the deck and the types of cards you see, you're likely or liable to have a low creature count. I think, you know, an average number of creatures for this style of deck would be somewhere in the 8 to 13 range. Mm -hmm. And if you're on the low end of that, you have to be really careful about including auras or creatures like Lampad, Soul Reaper of Mogus that care about having other creatures to sacrifice. I will say one exception to that is i'm i'm jamming staggering insight in a deck with eight creatures yes 100 agree but i think and this was true with my jeskai deck like you just want evasive threats you can't just put staggering insight in a deck that has all ground pounders i think like even if you just get that thaumaturge familiar like the one three artifact that scries one that's fine like get a flyer in your deck for your staggering insight yeah absolutely and i think you're more rather than like okay, I have an aura that I want to put on my creatures. You're more of a combo deck, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's about like put not only sticking that, but then having a way to protect it, whether it's Mantle or Karametra's Blessing. Yeah, and we mentioned that you're likely to be behind at the start of the game. So what does that mean for cards like Counterspells? They're bad. Like you really can't afford 
to hold up mana to counter stuff with these decks because you really need to affect the board when you can. Um, and even if you counter something that matters, like your opponent has probably had something stick on board that's gotten through the cracks, and that's the thing that you have to deal with too. So I think putting counter spells in these decks can often lead to uh, lead to game losses. Yeah, and then if we're assuming you're behind, also we just talked about incidental life gain. Some of the easiest ways to slot that in, Meyer Triton, Sunmane Pegasus, if you're base green, maybe a Satessan Petitioner, but that that seems going a little deep to me. Yeah, I mean, even like Grey Merchant in these decks, the reason that's good is not because of the drain, it's because you are gaining life with it. I would put as the final note before we maybe took, take a look at another roundtable or two, is that these decks are really tough to play. I was, you know, trying to bias myself into these decks this week. The games go long. You know, normally I would say on Magic Online, a draft and all the games takes me about an hour and a half-ish, maybe two hours. These were like, we're, we're talking like two and a half, three hour slogs with these decks. Ooh, that sounds like right up your alley. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, and, and so I just be careful playing these decks because even your smallest of decisions really matter. Like, what land you fetch with amulet, how you tap your mana if you're drawing cards, like thinking about, well, what could I draw into that would make me want to have red open or blue open? Do I tap my unknown shores now or do I need to leave it up? Is that going to be better for me or worse for me? Um, When do you crack omens? Do you crack them on upkeep? Are you saving them because you have a final flare or a dream shaper shaman? You need to like have a picture of your deck and keep track of your outs at all times. I imagine this deck is way harder to play in paper than it is on uh, on Magic Online or Arena. That's just true of everything, right? I guess that's true, yeah. But like, I've, spe- I've found myself consulting pictures of my deck a lot when I draft these five-color monstrosities. Yeah, that makes sense. Before we do some logs here, I just have some, some general not-on-our-show-notes questions Ooh, here for you. Okay. So do you feel like this deck is forcible or that it's possible to go into a draft saying i'm gonna do this thing and that you will end up with good results uh i definitely think it's forcible much like so i think the thing to keep in mind about this deck is just think about it like an 11th deck available to you to draft that like it's easy to read signals for oh i'm seeing that red white is open or whatever like i'm getting hero of the next fifth that similarly when you're not that like not seeing signals for those 10 decks could possibly mean oh but i am seeing amulet shores and altar when i'm like fifth sixth seventh pick that that may be a way to see that the deck is quote unquote open now whether or not you want to force it and take advantage of that or bias yourself towards that i think that's definitely possible i think you don't want to do it if you start off a draft with like you know medium or fine uncommons you really want to do it when you've got like strong black card into strong green card into strong red card into I don't know what color pair I'm supposed to be in. So do you find that is there any worry that, you know, let's say you're picking Thrill and Traveler's Amulet fairly highly, like around picks five through eight or something. Is there any worry that once you start down this route, you're just not going to get a critical mass of powerful enough cards? There's definitely a worry. Uh, A deck I drafted the other day on stream. I mean, I had good cards. I ended the draft with two Farika spawn, but I was five colors with no rares. Like I just didn't see any rares that were good. But I think that's kind of an anomaly. If you think about, all right, look, half of more than half of the rares and mythics in the set are better than Farika spawn. And if you don't open one of those or get past one of those in the draft, that just seems like that's going to happen a low percentage of the time. So I think most of the time you're going to get that stuff if you leave yourself open to it. I think the more difficult thing is making sure that like you get the pieces. I think the, the pieces of good ways to interact, good card draw, card filtering, good fixing, that's important more so than like, let's just assume that we're going to get a couple really strong cards in our draft. The rest of the deck, filling out the rest of the deck is the hard part. Yeah, that makes sense. So what are some of the key differences? And I've got some thoughts on this one too, like between this and other versions of five color that we've seen, because this does feel different to me than most other multicolor good stuff decks. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big thing that you mentioned, which is that the format on average is slow. So it feels like you have more time to set up your mana a little bit 
Like, yes, there's a red-white aggro deck here, but, you know, if we think back to Hour of Devastation had a number of really good aggressive decks. Uh, Rivals of Ixalan had some good aggressive decks. Like, there are more decks in other formats, I think, that put decks like this in check than, say, in this format where it feels like it's mostly just red-white, maybe red-green as well. I would add red-black to that list as well. There's some pretty pretty aggressive red-black lists out there. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, red just probably at, at its base being the scourge of, of these kinds of decks. The other thing I think is a big difference is escape is the fact that like you get recursive threats that are meaningful and this deck is like already filling up the graveyard by itself and like you know an hour of devastation you had ways to use the graveyard with uh whatever embalm and, and, and eternalize whatever it was but most of the time you don't and the fact that you do get to turn your like thrill of possibilities and your traveler's amulets into pieces of those escape cards down the road i think makes this deck tick a little bit better here i think one of the things that for me as well is interesting about it is the pieces you're working with on their face value are not powerful, right? Like thirst, thirst for knowledge or thirst for meaning and thrill of possibility and traveler's amulet. Like those are typically not premium ways to enable this type of deck, right? They're, they're intrinsically not powerful cards, but in the context of escape and in the context of there being a lot of removal in the format and the fact that like the things you're working to build the deck are also like not very powerful. The fact that you're rummaging and looting to find your stuff rather than just having like, you know, some powerful blue spell that's draw three or draw four, like that would be more typical of these style of decks, right? But because of the context of the format, thrill and thirst feel about as good as those other types of cards that would be typically more powerful. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, another thing I want to add on about, you know, think about the double pipped nature of these powerful cards being actually kind of a reason to go into this deck. You know, one of the draft logs that Ghash uh, and I went over when he was on my stream was this draft where he took Dream Trawler first and then really sort of ignored blue and white cards. And I, you know, I think part of it was he was forcing the deck so we had something to discuss when he came on. But also I think there's something to be said about Look, Dream Trawler, yeah, if blue-white is quote-unquote open, or even if it's not, you could just force blue-white and play Dream Trawler in that deck. Or you could force this deck, which honestly doesn't have to be base any color because there is colorless fixing. You just figure out what you're going to do in terms of like what your maybe quote-unquote base two colors are going to be. But that deck is going to be a, a much more flexible thing for you throughout the draft when you've already got the card like Dream Trawler to know that you want to be in that deck for and then you, that actually leaves you more option to be like well i could be red blue as my base for this multicolor deck and play dream trawler i can be red green and still be able to try and cast this dream trawler because i get it pack one pick one like it actually even though it is forcing the deck it does leave you uh potentially more options than just saying i can only play this in blue white yeah that makes sense and i think there's an even another thing about the format is that those those rares are so much more busted than all the other cards yes right? like typically when you do this deck your whole deck is full of good cards <laughs> yeah and that's not the case here like half your deck is good cards mm -hmm. and, and those those cards just matter so much more right like i feel like maybe you know i'm thinking back to rick's like the stupid tetsamok or whatever there have been game warping rares or mythics in formats before but there just seems to be so many more of them here i think this this format has like six cards that are <laughs> tetsamok level yeah exactly interesting all right well let's take a look at another one of your logs here okay so this is maybe an example of I don't know. Maybe people see this as forcing. We didn't want to do this first because I think there's going to be a lot of controversial takes here, but just as a showing this as a tool for the deck. Uh, so pack one, pick one, kind of a stinker. Best commons in the pack are Venomous, Hierophant, and Deny the Divine. Moving on to the uncommons, there's Timoret, Chosen from Death. This is the Black Demigod. Shoal Kraken, four and a blue for the three five with Constellation. Uh, you can draw a card, discard a card. And our rare is Labyrinth of Scophos. Uh, this is the one that taps for colorless, and you can pay four tap to remove target attacking or blocking creature from combat. Yeah, I think this rapidly boils down to Timurit or Labyrinth. I think Labyrinth is very good when it's good, but I think getting to that game state often doesn't happen, and Timurit just hoses entire decks in the format. I think I would be on Timurit here over Labyrinth. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of folks who like Labyrinth because it's colorless, but I think that is sort of deceptive. Like, yes, it's it's going to quote unquote make every one of your decks. It's going to quote unquote make every one of your decks, but like a colorless land is a cost. It often maybe has you skew towards playing an extra land because of that. And as you said, it's like 
it's very rare that you get to the point where you're activating this multiple times in a game. And I've seen it on both sides of the battlefield enough to feel like it's an underperformer. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I grabbed Timoret chosen from death here as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two. Here's some spice, Ben. All right, so we've got uh, Underworld Charger. It's the three mana, three, three, that can't block and has escape and comes back as a five, five. Thrill of Possibility, one of our faves. There's another Deny the Divine here. And then at the uncommon slot, there's a favorite of Iroas, the two and a white, two, two Constellation Double Striker. I'll see it of Life's Bounty, the single white, one, one with lifelink, and you can pay one, sack it to give a creature or enchantment you control protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. And then Rare still in the pack, but it's Dalakos, the one blue, red, two, four that loves Bronze Sword. Yeah, I think I would be trying to decide after Timurit between Underworld Charger and Favorite of Iroas. And I think I would take Underworld Charger. That's pretty close for me. Favorite Aroas is a better card, but I really would like to cut black. I'm essentially passing no good black cards if I take Charger here. It's kind of a coin flip for me between those two cards. I really don't don't care which. It's interesting that you would take Favorite of Aroas there over Alcyad. With with my new love for Pious Wayfair, I'd be, be taking Alcyad uh, over the Favorite, I think. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I think those two cards are also very close in power level. So let me let me ask you this. So let me throw this at you. If if we're thinking about like, as you can see, you're sort of picking like a medium to I think some people would say not great black card versus, you know, a fine white uncommon. But what about one of the best commons for the multicolor deck in Thrill of Possibility? Yeah, I initially saw that you picked this here when we were, we were pre-show talking and I was like, whoa, <laughs> forcing much. <laughs> and I and I think after talking through it with you, it, it seems reasonable here. So can you can you enlighten our listeners as to why you took Thrill? Yeah, I mean, I, I really was feeling like I didn't have a good follow up to Timurit. I don't like Underworld Charger. I could take something like Alcyad or Favorite of Iroas and go down like, you know, try and be a white aggro deck. Or I felt like, well, I want I want to try and get some reps in with this style of deck. And it feels like Thrill of Possibility here is a, a fine pickup. And if, it, if we think about it as one of the best commons for the multicolor deck, then I don't feel like it's super crazy to take it here. Right. If you're if you're reframing it in that context, right, because if you look at Thrill of Possibility in a vacuum, it's like a D. D plus. Right. But if you're thinking about it as, okay, this deck is good. I want to give myself the option to draft this deck. And I think Thrill is just it's just good. One of the one of the better red commons, right? right? Like it's not it's not top three, I don't think, but I think it's right under. And once I have my first copy of Omen of the Forge, I think I'm loading up on thrills. Yep. So I grabbed Thrill of Possibility here. So strap in, folks. Pack one, pick three. Uh, we've got a Vexing Gull at Common, and then we got three pieces of fixing in Unknown Shores, Traveler's Amulet, and Omen of the Hunt. And then at Uncommon, probably the best card in the pack is Furious Rise, the two in a red enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power four or greater, you can exile the top card of your library, and you can play that until you exile another card with Furious Rise. Yeah, so for me, if I had gone Timurid into Charger, I think I would be on Furious Rise here. I've liked Furious Rise a fair amount, especially in Black Red because you get to run Thrill of Possibilities. And when Furious Rise is good, it's great. But when it's bad, it's real bad. So the option to have, you know, maybe two, three Thrills to pitch your Furious Rise when it doesn't get there is pretty strong. So I think I'm on Furious Rise here for my deck. If we had gone Thrill of Possibility, all of a sudden Traveler's Amulet's starting to look pretty good here. Right? I think it's just about, again, thinking about this as, yes, the deck is an escape hatch, as we're calling it. It's a backup plan, but... It also can be a game plan. If you're not seeing a clear route with commons, I think this is a route of commons you can take to then set yourself up for pack two and pack three. And you're just trusting that you're going to see powerful cards of some color in those two packs. Exactly. I think it also, as you said, like Thrill of Possibility is just a good red card. Traveler's Amulet is just a card you are going to play in a two color deck that has any escape in it, you know, like... So I'm not even taking cards that are like, well, I got to like fingers crossed, I'm going to get some deck like I can still just play these in normal decks too. Right. And it just feels like Traveler's Amulet as a card just feels so much worse than Golden Egg. to me. (laughs) Yeah. But just like trying to calibrate for the context of the format. Right. Well, we've seen Amulet in a number of formats before. It's in Hour of Devastation. And it was like not the card that you wanted for mana fixing in that at all. Right. So moving on to pack one, pick four. What do we got going on here? So there is not really a lot to talk about. There's a Voracious Typhon as probably the best card in the pack. Um, Another Underworld Charger, a Hero of the Pride, 
um, and stinging lionfish at uncommon. Like it's it's not a great pack at all for I think maybe either route. Yeah, I am pretty sad if I'm looking at this pack here. I think the best card in the pack is either Hero of the Pride or Voracious Typhon. With me not having any white cards going Timurit, Underworld Charger into Rise, I think I would be on Voracious Typhon just as the best card in the pack. And maybe that's a signal that Green's open looking to also goes well with the Furious Rise I just picked up theoretically. Yeah. So I think I would be on that. Yeah, I also took Typhon as just like, well, I got I got a thrill. I've got an amulet. I can just take whatever's good. So I took the Typhon here. Yeah. Pack one, pick five. Following cards as options, another Thrill of Possibility, a Soul Reaper of Mogus, Mogus' Favor, and then at Uncommon, all three are still here, Triumph of Annex, uh, the Red Saga that has uh, four chapters, the first three are plus X plus O and Trample to a creature with the number of lore counters on Triumph, and then the fourth chapter is you have a creature you control, fight another creature you don't control. Sweet Oblivion, the Mill card, Stinging Lionfish again, one and a blue 2-1 with the uh, tap or untap a thing when you cast a spell on your opponent's turn. And Temple of Plenty, the green-white Scryland. Yeah, there's nothing really here for me from my pile so far. No green card that I'm taking after just picking up the Typhon. So I'm trying to decide between like Thrill and Soul Reaper of Mogus, I think. I think, honestly, I would land on Thrill as a card that I could play in red-green or red-black pretty happily. But I could see a case for Soul Reaper as well to kind of try to cut black. But honestly, we haven't seen premium black cards. Yeah, I, I was uh, very, very thrilled to see this card here and, and snapped it up. Ooh. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, moving on to pack one, pick six. All right, Ben, there's another Traveler's Amulet. There's a Final Flare. Uh, uncommon, there's Siona, Captain of the Pileas. That's the one green, white, 2-2. Two, two. Uh, Furious Rise again, and even Treacherous Blessing still in the pack. Two and a black. When it ETBs, you draw three cards. Whenever you cast a spell, you lose life. And when Blessing becomes the target of a spell or ability, you sacrifice it. Yeah, I think I would be happy to see Treacherous Blessing here with my root. I think I would take that and be looking to draft some sort of a black-red sacrifice deck from here on out, hopefully. With your root, I mean, if we take Traveler's Amulet here, we are golden, right? Yeah. So this, I think this is a really good example of just seeing this as a deck that can be open and that like, maybe I force it a little bit, but I don't really feel like it. So I love Treacherous Blessing, but I don't think the rest of the world does. And I don't think Treacherous Blessing 6 is a black signal. So yeah, you can take it here, but like we haven't seen good black cards after we took Timurit. I, I wouldn't really be happy about being in black for that card and i think for the same reason that like funeral rights is kind of a liability in the multicolor deck treacherous blessing is great you draw three cards but i don't want a card that's going to be a liability for me in those decks i don't want a lot of ways to lose life so we take amulet here we now have two amulet and two thrill in the middle of pack one it feels like we can basically do anything as the draft goes on yeah that's then that's really powerful right mm -hmm. and so one of the things that I think is interesting about this draft. Like initially when I saw it, I was like, oh, oh, I don't like the way you're drafting this. But now that we're like, you know, even talking through it with you the first time and now going through it again, this feels like a real option because these packs were weak, right? Yeah. These were not good packs. And now all of a sudden out of not good packs, you've positioned yourself to have a potentially very powerful in pack two and pack three. Whereas if I do this black red thing, I'm just kind of hoping to get there on black and red. And I don't even really know that black and red are open right. because the packs were so weak. Like it's very possible that I'm getting cut. And this is one of the things that we sort of have talked about over the weeks and figured out that like after pick three and pick four, you're like, hopefully something is, is presenting itself to me. But a lot of times you're just like, these are all C minus cards. What am I supposed to take? And when you've got this sort of new fangled pick order of, well, I actually don't mind picking up thrills and amulets and even altars or omens or unknown shores out of these weak packs because they're just going to enable me to be able to maximize my best cards that I see throughout the draft. That's a very powerful tool to have in your draft arsenal. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I would add, you know, if you're in the discord or if you're not in the discord and you want to tag us on Twitter, if you're not used to drafting these style of multicolor decks, I think this is one of the harder versions yeah of this deck to build this is this is multicolored you know 303 or something this is not <laughs> multicolored 101 like this is this is advanced calculus and, and i, I want to add something as well and this is sort of maybe an unfortunate thing for our arena players or arena only players out there this deck is really much less viable on arena because the bots are 
not passing rares almost at all. Yeah, that's a bummer and makes sense. So with this draft, you know, having this awesome start, how did you end up? Did you get the goodies? I, I did get the goodies. So this is the deck that I talked about earlier where I didn't end up with any rares, but I did get like two Farika spawns and a Dream Shaper Shaman. I had like a really good mana base. I think I had the, the two amulets, uh, a carry added, an omen and an altar. So just really was able to do whatever I wanted. Unfortunately, we faced three aggro decks, a red, white, red, green and red, green and went one, two. And that's just sort of that's the break sometimes with these decks, but it, it definitely felt powerful and played out really well. I have I have also been dipping my my toe into this deck. I've drafted it a few times this week, and it has made the format more fun. I have not like three would with it yet. I've two one twice, one two'd, but I think, you know, given some decisions or some close breaks, certainly could have three would with a couple of the decks. Yeah, it, I agree. I've, I, it feels really fun to know that this deck exists and i feel like i understand how to get into it now and has made the format uh, a lot more interesting to me yeah so please get at us with your three four five color decks we would definitely love to give our advice input talk through them with you i think that's a great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give that a listen you got more lords of limited content out there each and every week for you we dropped four new videos on our youtube channel youtube.com slash lords of limited check that out go click that subscribe button you can find us on twitch i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is at twitch.tv slash mr metronome we're both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Okay, never mind. I, re- I redact my statement. Okay. Uh, I do feel pretty strongly that Idol on a Philosophy doesn't really belong. You, I mean, you retract it, right? Not redact it. <laughs> what does redact mean? Redact is like when you black something out in like the military files. Oh, yeah. Censor Obscure. So I'm going to just, I'm going to put a black line through this in the uh, show notes <laughs> like it never happened. <laughs>